Welcome to the Impact Community Podcast, a conversation between pastors and church leaders. Whether you're a seasoned pastor or just a church planner trying to figure things out, none of us were meant to do ministry alone. That's why we have community, community that makes an impact. Welcome to the conversation. Let's talk. Um, so glad that you all are uh, joining us today on our Impact Community Conference call. Man, what, a, what an honor it is to have Tim Gowdy with us. Before we get started today, um, I'd like to have us open with a word of prayer. I see, um, I see Pastor uh, Jay Carney on the call with us. I'm going to ask Pastor Jay if he would open us up in prayer this morning. Thank you, David. Father, we just come to you right now. Lord, this is a day that you have made. We certainly rejoice and are glad in it. Lord, we just come together today to look to you for direction. Lord, you tell us that you're the author and the finisher of our faith. And we know no matter what season we may be going through, that the pen is still in your hand. Your word tells us in Psalms 139 and 5 that you have laid your hand upon us. You have beset us behind and before. We know not only are you coming behind us, but you're going before us, but you're with us in this season. God, I pray, Lord, you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jay. And again, we're so uh, thrilled to have you all on our call this morning or this afternoon, depending on where you're at, um, and all of the calls that we've had up until this point. Uh, so thankful to, to see all of you and pray that God's keeping you through this season. Um, we're so thrilled today, so excited to have Pastor Tim Gaddy, um, in plant, church planter, church builder in uh, Cabot, Arkansas, in the Little Rock area. He obviously needs no introduction from me. He's the district superintendent of, of the Arkansas district and um, has preached literally every conference known to man. Um, and so we're just, no, but we're, we're excited. I love, I love, Pastor Gaddy, his spirit, his heart, his kindness. He's always been uh, the kindest Christian I've ever known is Tim Gaddy. And so we're, we're just um, excited that he'd be on the call with us. We want to open our hearts to whatever God has uh, directed him to speak to us today. Pastor Gaddy. Thank you, Brother McGovern. It is such a treat to be with all of you. Uh, I greet all of you. Grateful to just have this opportunity. I just a moment ago was kind of flipping through the screen here to see who all, who all were on the call. And my goodness, I, uh, there's some wonderful men on this call and I honor each of you. I was telling my wife yesterday, uh, we were driving cause we had to get out of the house. You know, you can only stay in the house so long. And so we were driving and I told her, I said, one of the things that I'm realizing about the church in general as a whole, in the last six or seven weeks is just how resilient God's church is, how resilient the apostolic church is, because, you know, you, you potentially look at a situation where it locks churches down a pandemic from doing what we always do. And God's church just finds a way, whether it's uh, coming up with new ways of broadcasting, parking lot services, Zoom calls, small groups, all the things we've all been witnessing and been a part of. And just to, to be a part of that kind of body of people is a, is a blessing all in its own. And I was reminding the Lord of that this morning when I was praying, just thanking him that I get to be a part of the church 
and to be a part of such a resilient group of people. So um, perhaps the people that you lead have told you this, but let me just say it as well. Thank you for what you're doing to continue the ministry and the mission of the church, uh, even in unusual circumstances. And um, I give all of you honor. Uh, thank you, Brother McGovern. I sure love and appreciate you, honor you, Brother Paul Price, my dear friend, member of the Arkansas District. Uh, I love these men. I love what Impact Community stands for and all that it's doing to uh, mobilize church planners, to bless church planners, to equip church planners. And then also, even through this um, call to minister to people outside of even the church planning context. So, again, I'm honored to be on here with you. I have a friend in Cabot who pastors a non denominational church and we used to go and gather uh, in the early days of our church here in Cabot at this man's building where he pastors and we would have prayer each Wednesday morning. And I was walking through his sanctuary a number of years ago, just before our prayer meeting started. And I'm always kind of picking up brochures and things that other churches put out to get ideas. And they had a little card in the back of the seat and I reached down and grabbed it. And at the top of the card, it simply said this, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? And it had a bunch of blanks underneath that. And it was the kind of church where it was a very responsive church to the Holy Ghost. So if, if someone was in the service and they felt the Lord speak something to them while the preacher was preaching, they would fill out that card and they would submit it to their elders at that church, and then the elders would judge whether it needed to be brought to the whole body. So my point in bringing that up is not to talk about the process they went through, but rather uh, to speak to the question that was on that card. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? And I am finding the longer that I'm in ministry, I need to make sure I'm asking that question every single day. What is the Holy Ghost saying to me today? And the longer we're in ministry, brethren, and if there's any sisters on here, uh, we need to have our ear tuned to the frequency of heaven every single day. Because we have wonderful people that are, are looking to us and desiring for leadership in their life. And we have been humbly blessed by God to, to fill that role. And so I just want to share with you today what the Holy Ghost is saying to me about this call, because I, I went to the Lord and prayer. I said, Lord, what do you want me to share? And maybe to start a conversation. Um, so let me just give you something that really helped me a number of years ago. And wherever you are in your church life and your leadership life, uh, this really helped me because I know we're all wanting to grow our churches and to accelerate that growth as the Lord helps us. Uh, I read something that just turned over in my spirit was this, that a healthy rate of growth in a church, and this is across Christianity, the healthy rate of growth in a church is about 7% every year. And that was a little statement that was made in a church growth book that I read. And it was, it was made by a couple of guys that I'll reference this book later on, but had taken surveys of about 1500 Christian churches. And they said in their studies, they found that 7% is an actual good growth rate in a church. Uh, many churches come in under that, some go over that, uh, but that really changed my thinking about growth in a church, and here's what I mean by that. 
when we first started a little over 20 years ago here in Cabot, if someone was to say, what's your goal? I would, would have said, we want to start a church and grow a church. But then when I read this, it kind of gave context to the question, how much do you want to grow? So if you are averaging 20 people on a Sunday, 7% of 20, and those of you math majors in here can figure out, let's just use uh, uh, a round number here. Uh, I won't get into all the, the percentages here, but take whatever you want to grow and ask yourself, what's 7% more than that? And, and use that as a benchmark for your next level of growth. That really helped me a number of years ago because it kind of let me get my brain around this incremental growth in the kingdom of God, as opposed to an ethereal, we're going to have revival. Well, yes, we're going to have revival. We want to have revival, but how much revival do we want to have? Where do we want to set those marks and then grow from there? And so that's just a, a quick little something that, that really helped me uh, in setting goals as a pastor in, you know, 7% growth in home Bible studies, 7% growth in the number of young people we send on mission trips, 7% growth in our church attendance, 7% growth in, in whatever in your church life. And so that, that really, really helped me. Now, let me give you some context. I want to share some numbers with you uh, simply to give you context in what I'm going to talk about here just for a few minutes. When Stacy and I started our church, we had four of us in our first service. Uh, me, Stacy, Madison, my daughter, and the homeowner, the lady that we started at her home. So there were four of us in our first service. That was almost 21 years ago. Uh, currently, we're averaging ministering somewhere between four and 500 people a week at our church. Now, the reason why I share that, and in the past, I used to be real resistant to share those numbers because some people might think I'm trying to, to, to be proactive. Uh, proud pride uh, coming in my spirit. I'm not at all. I'm giving you context on what I'm going to talk about here in just for in just a minute. Uh, and so as I was praying for this call, the Lord dropped in my heart to share with you the three times in, in ministry in the last 21 years that I've given up. The three times I've given up. And this is a really personal thing to me because I think in ministry, it's easy to want to hang on to things. And especially if you're a church planter, you start to see a few people responding to what you're doing in the city, whether it's teaching a home Bible study or having public services or whatever the case may be. And I know myself, I wanted to hang on to that so desperately. I didn't want a preacher to come in and preach at our church and say the wrong thing to run those people off that I had spent a lot of time getting them to the place that they were. And so it was this hanging on uh, mentality. And I don't think that's wrong. I think that's the heart of a shepherd and that's the heart of a pastor. But the longer I've gone in ministry, the more I've realized the need to give up in some things. And so let me just share with you personally, these three times that I've given up and they, they're actually still ongoing in my life. The first time that I gave up, was when I decided to give up the church to God. Give up the church to God. Um, I have a very distinct memory of the first day that I spent in Cabot before we were ever having public worship services. And I was eating at a fish house. We had some of the best fried catfish in the world. Um, 
and I'm really, I'm struggling because I can't go there right now. But anyway, that's a whole nother issue. Uh, I went to this catfish restaurant and I'm sitting there eating by myself and I get done eating. I pay the bill. I step out onto the parking lot to get in my car. And again, this is my first day in cabin. I don't know anybody. Uh, nobody, um, nobody, I don't have a business card that I can hand to somebody. We don't have a website. We haven't had a church service yet. And I had a thought go through my mind. And the thought was this, I am here to plant a church in this city. And nobody knows that except me. (laughs) And that, excuse me, was a horrifying thought because my future was dependent on changing that scenario. And the financial base of my family was dependent in the future on changing that. And so I realized real quick, if I make this about me, then this thing is going to fail. But I have to give this up to God. I have to remind the Lord that the church was his idea. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church, not Tim's church but my church, meaning the Lord, <coughs> excuse me. And so um, I started giving it to him in prayer, reminding him. And those of you that are church planners on here, perhaps you're like me. There are times you have to remind the Lord this church planting thing was his idea. It wasn't my idea. And so, especially when it gets tough, we have to remind the Lord, Lord, I'm giving this back to you. I'm giving you all the victories. I'm giving you all the defeats. I'm giving you all the struggles. I am giving the church up to you because uh, you are um, the builder of the church. If this church, now he has always chosen to use human beings, but if the church is truly going to be built here in this city, it's going to be God bringing it to pass uh, through human um, ability and power. Um, And so because of this, I have tried to train myself not to use terms like my church or my people or even my staff. Now, I will say I haven't been perfect in this. So if you're ever with me in the future and you hear me say that, I'm just human. I'm not a perfect person, obviously. But I've tried to train myself not to use terminology like that because the truth of the matter is, brethren, None of our churches are our church. He just uses us to bring about his church on the earth. And what a blessing that is. What a tremendous privilege that is to be a channel, a conduit, someone the Spirit of the Lord can move through. And so the first time I gave up, uh, and I continue to do this, is when I gave up the church to God. The second time in the last 20-something years, Uh, that I gave up was when I gave up certain jobs in the church. When I gave up certain jobs in the church. Um, Let me just say this, and I wrote this down. It's always easier, quicker, and more convenient to do it yourself. But it's more effective long-term to train someone to do it. I want to say that again. It's always easier, quicker, and more convenient to do it yourself. But it's always more effective long-term to train someone to do it. 
Now, Acts chapter 6 is really the hinge point of the New Testament, I think. So much attention, and rightfully so, is on the book of Acts chapter 2. It's our message. It's the salvation message of the apostolic church. It's what we cling to. It's what we preach. It's what we promote. But here's the thing, brethren. Once that happens and growth comes, then we have to respond correctly when it comes to all that that will bring. So Acts 6, I think, is the hinge point. Acts 2 is the outpouring. Acts 6 is the hinge point that propelled the apostolic church to greater growth and really seismic growth throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, it's interesting to note this, that when, when they got what they were praying for, when they were praying for revival and they were praying for outpouring and through the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, it came, then they had a decision to make. And I want to say this, every time we get what we're praying for, it will require more decisions. We don't ever get to this ethereal place where everything is just harmonious all the time. In fact, I'm just going to tell you, in my experiences, church growth always produces issues. Always. Uh, church growth always produces opportunity for decisions. And it's, it's all the time this happens. And we don't have to go any further than the book of Acts to find this. It's interesting to note that when the church really started growing in Acts 6, the Bible says that the first thing that was noticeable is the Grecian widows felt neglected. And can I tell you this, guys? Uh, that's, that's true today. True church growth, one of the first things that will crop up is some people who used to have great access to pastor now don't have as much access because there's not as much of pastor to go around. And so neglect can be one of the first signs of real church growth. People start feeling neglected. But the apostles had a decision to make. What are we going to do at this point in our church? And they decided, I believe, as the Holy Ghost helped them, to learn to give away jobs so that they could focus on what God had called them uniquely to do. Uh, it wasn't them giving away jobs so they could sit home and relax, but giving away other jobs so they could do the things unique to their role in the church. So I want to make sure this is clear. Uh, I've told pastors before in, in church growth seminars and different meetings, you need to develop an I don't do list. Okay. Now, let me just make one disclaimer. Okay. Or maybe two. Uh, this has nothing to do with being too big to do a job. Absolutely not. When we first started in Cabot, I did everything. I would drive the car to go pick up people. I would open the front door. I would greet people. Uh, I would turn on the sound system. I would preach. I would go back to the back door and greet people on the way out. I would write the notes of follow-up. I would go visit people. I would teach the home Bible studies. And then my wife, of course, is on board with all of this. As a church planter, you have to do that. I'm not assuming you need to start a church and have this big, long list. This is what I don't do. That's a surefire way to not plant a church. But, but as the church grows, brethren, I'm going to speak to us not in the context of just barely getting by, but as the Lord gives us what we're really asking him to give us, what are we going to do about that? And we have to learn and be secure enough to give jobs away and let other people um, help in, in, in the church. Um, our church about seven or eight years ago got to the place where I went to prayer one day and I said, Lord, I feel like that our church 
is just outside of where I can keep my hands on everything. And I have to tell you, I'm a goal personality. And so that really challenged me. And I was kind of complaining to the Lord and the Lord spoke to me. And I don't know how he speaks to you. He doesn't really speak in demonstrative way out ways to me. He's, most of the time it's just in my thoughts. He said, you know what, Tim, that's exactly where I want the church to be. Because if it's at the place you can put your hands on it and control it, then it's limited by your ability. But if you will engage other people and let them do jobs in this church, you're going to expand what this church can do. And so I brought Daryl Weber in. He and his wife, Karen, are the pastors in the Pentecostals of Lafayette now in Louisiana. And I was told a number of years ago, you need to find a church that's about twice as big attendance-wise as your church and let that be a model church for you. Um, because, for instance, if I choose in Cabot to let the Pentecostals of Alexandria, as great of a church as that is, be our model, it, it really is apples and oranges because we don't have the staff, we don't have the resource, we don't have the membership. That's a, a totally different paradigm. But a church that's twice as big as ours, it gives us something to shoot for. So I brought, they're about twice as big as ours. Uh, and, and so I, I brought Daryl and Karen up to our church to meet with our staff and spend three or four days. And I told him, I said, I don't want you to come here and just pat us on the back and tell us, we're, look at what we're doing. Sit down with our staff, talk to us. And Daryl said something to me right before he left. And it, it just rocked me. And oh, it rocked me in a, in a, in a good way. He said, Tim, what I see happening at the church right now is the next step of growth in this church has nothing to do with prayer. It has nothing to do with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. All that is in place. He says it has everything to do with processes, structure, and getting jobs given to people. Now, I have to tell you, I didn't think that's the answer I was going to get from him. I thought it was going to be, man, if you'll just, you know, really pray and fast and, and understand, I'm not against that. We do all of that. And in fact, we're doing some of that this week. That's the recipe for an apostolic church. But growth has to entail more than just mentally thinking about it. We have to do something practically to facilitate more growth. And this giving away of jobs um, is, is crucially important. Let me share a quick story and then I'll get to my last point. Um, we, about eight years ago, were remodeling a building that we're currently in and uh, it, it necessitated us being out of our sanctuary, out, out of our building completely for eight weeks. And so we rented a school and we had a whole team that would go in early to the school, as many of you know about doing this, set up all the sound, set up all the chairs, get everything ready. And then we all would show up and we'd have service and it went well. I remember one particular Sunday morning, uh, I showed up early because I, I was ready. My sermon was ready and I thought I would just help out. So we had this sound team, AV team. They were in there. They're hooking up cords, all that. And uh, I'm there early. I thought I'll help. And so I saw a cord laying over here that had a male end and a cord over here that had a female end. And I, you know, I'm bright like this. And so I thought, those go together. You plug those together. It's obviously what happens here. And so I plugged them in. 
And the sound that came through the speakers uh, in that moment when I plugged those two cords in was a sound like I will never forget. It was, it was horrible. It was like the Lord was coming, but it wasn't a, a pleasant thing. And, um, and so I real quickly unhooked the cords thinking that may be me that caused that. And I just let them drop to the ground. And have you ever had one of those moments where you do something and you know it's you and you hope that nobody else uh, saw you do that because you don't want to like incriminate yourself? And I realized real quick I had caused that. And so I thought I had got away with it until I went over and I was trying to figure out something else to do to help. And this hand came down on my shoulder and I looked up and it was our head sound guy at the church that, over the team. And he said this to me, he said, pastor, can I ask you to do me a favor? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm here. I'm ready to help with whatever you want. And he pointed to a, a, a hallway and he said, I'd like you to get your Bible and your iPad. And I'd like you to go down that hallway. There's a couch over there. And I want you, I, I want you to sit on that couch and hear from God for us. And then he said, we'll set up the sound system because he'd seen me plug these cords in and everything that went crazy. Uh, so it made me realize in a real practical, humbling way, gents, if we will get good at giving up jobs to people and employing them into the work of the church, we're going to empower more people to be involved. And, um, it's going to multiply the church. In Acts 6, it happened. They got more people involved. And the Bible says that the number of disciples multiplied greatly and a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. Could it be that us giving up jobs is the next great step toward more Holy Ghost harvest and even more ministers coming into the truth? Why not? It happened in the book of Acts chapter 6 like that. Now, let me tell you the last uh, time I gave up, and I'm continuing this, is when I gave up to other leaders, when I gave up the church to other leaders. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you another quick story. We were at a youth camp in Arkansas um, about four years ago, and the camp evangelist said to the senior camp that night, in just a few minutes, I'm going to have all of our ministers step down and they're going to line up across the front of the tabernacle. And then I'm going to give an appeal for all the students to come forward. And your pastor is going to lay their hand on you and pray over you. And there's going to be a great anointing and a mantle come. This is a pretty powerful moment. And so in just a moment, he gave instruction and all the ministers stepped forward. And so my wife and I are standing at one side of the tabernacle altar. And I looked across way on the other side of the building and our student pastor and his wife were over on the other side. And so then the evangelist said, all right, students, come on, gather around your pastor. Let them lay hands on you. There's going to be a great anointing come in this place. And so I've, you have to get the picture. I've got my eyes closed and I got my hands lifted. Stacy's right here next to me. And I am fully expecting to start feeling students all around us any moment, you know, youth camps, there's nothing like it. And so uh, I'm praying, Oh God, let the anointing of the Holy ghost fall. 
And strangely enough, I'm feeling no students around me, none. And um, <laughs> so I, I kind of cocked one eye open. You know, I didn't want to bust the moment spiritually, but I kind of cocked one eye open expecting, am I just missing something? I know our kids are here. We had a bunch of kids at that camp. And there is nobody standing next to Stacy and me. No students. None. And meanwhile, all the people around me, man, their students are just piling up there and they're laying hands on them. Kids are falling out. It's awesome. And um, I look down across the altar at our student pastor and his wife. And this image is burned in my brain for the rest of my life. All of our students at that camp were gathered around. Now watch this. Listen very carefully. Their pastor. And they were laying hands on. I mean, there were kids speaking in tongues that hadn't spoken in tongues in months. They're falling out. They're praying for one another. Our student pastor was like a rabid dog. He's just climbing over students and praying on them. And meanwhile, meanwhile, the senior pastor and his good sweet wife that planted this church are standing like two lonesome doves at the other end of the tabernacle altar with our hands up with nobody around us. And I looked down there and the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And here's what the Lord said. You need to be okay with that because that's what you've trained them to do. And I'll make one disclaimer. Every one of those students loves and respects me as a senior pastor. They come and they visit with me. They counsel with me. I hope I don't have to qualify this, guys. I'm not talking about our student pastor taking over and splitting the church. He's a extremely loyal. Shane Clark is, is, I think, the greatest student pastor in the United Pentecostal Church. He and his wife, Wendy, are awesome people. But here's the thing, guys. We're going to have to trust other leaders if we're going to continue to see the church grow. Um, we're going to have to trust other leaders. Uh, this kind of giving up will test our security like nothing else. It really will. Um, I'll close with this. In Exodus chapter number 18, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes and watches him judge the people all day long, morning to night. He says, you know what? This isn't good. Nothing like a father-in-law to tell you the truth. He said, you need to change what you're doing. And so he says, here's what you need to do. You need to pick out from you able men. Here's the qualification, able men, men that fear God, men of truth, and men that hate covetousness. In other words, they're not in it to get something else. They're givers, those four qualifications. And appoint them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Do you know what that tells me? Not every leader is going to be gifted to lead the same amount of people, but that's okay. And Jethro said to Moses, get them and let them judge these cases. The, the, tough, the tough stuff, the big stuff, let them bring that to you. But you bring that. And here's what Jethro said. If you will do this, Moses, you will be able to endure. And the people will go to their homes in peace. So I want to say to every one of us as leaders, uh, we won't endure if we don't give up to other leaders as God directs us. You may say, well, is there a risk associated with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there a risk that someone's going to get 
big headed and take part of your church? Absolutely. But guys, let's get over that. The benefit far outweighs the risk. And we can build a culture at our churches that calls loyalty in and doesn't uh, cater to a deficit mentality. Um, and then in Acts chapter six, the same qualifications, make sure they're honest, make sure they're full of the Holy Ghost and make sure there's wisdom in them. And I think it's interesting to note that in Acts six, none of that has to do with skill. It has to do with who those leaders are. So as just a side note, gentlemen, don't be wowed by skill. I'm not saying we don't need to be skilled people. We don't need to have skill and talent, but you know, skill and talent can be taught. But honesty, integrity, wisdom, you don't teach that. That's the Lord that gives that. And so those were the qualifications that those in Acts 6 uh, embraced. So um, those are the three times I gave up in ministry, uh, giving up to God, giving up jobs, and then giving up to leaders. So I pray that that's been a, a blessing and maybe it's something we can chew on and walk out in our lives. Brother McGovern. I oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor Gaddy. That was so good. Jotting down notes the whole time. And um, so, okay, let's open it up for Q&A for just a few minutes. We have a couple of minutes left on the call. Um, I'm going to address probably the elephant in the room on this topic, at least, at least for me. Um, and I want to, I would love to hear Brother Gaddy what your thoughts are on this. You, you talk about endurance and you talk about efficiency. And obviously, as we delegate, those are two components of the culture of our church that are going to elevate um, as we delegate endurance and efficiency. And obviously, something we're building that is going to outlive us. And ultimately, that's the goal. But I think that the elephant in the room would, for me would be... Um, excellence. And, and so talk to us control freaks. Pre preach to us control freaks that um, rebuke us control freaks that um, <laughs> in the name of quality control, right? In the name of quality control, um, have, a, have a really hard time relinquishing the reins on a lot of uh, aspects of leadership um, so, so I guess my question would be twofold, like what is like just a mindset or something, a practical tool that maybe we could start using or would help us start thinking in that direction? Uh, um, how, how can somebody who uh, is a quality control freak right. um, learn to relinquish the reins? And also on the same, I guess the other side of that question, same Coin different side would be how can we help our leaders um, elevate their level of, of of excellence? I hope that makes sense. It's a long question. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, excellence to me is a value. In fact, uh, in our um, pastors' chat, which is our newcomers' um, luncheon that we have every eight weeks at our church, we talk about the five values of our church, and one of them is excellence. Because I think if if the work of God is being done worth doing, it's worth doing with excellence and we represent um, the Lord. So 
I am also, I'm a recovering control freak from McGovern, just for the record. Uh, and I don't know how good I'm doing recovering at that. We're not because, alone. We're not yeah, alone. I have I have certain things. Like, for instance, it's a big joke around our church when, when in the early days when I would be hanging a sign on the door if it was a piece of paper. Hey, I don't want like the tape going across the edges and all <laughs> nasty looking because I think that that just looks nasty. And so the big joke around the church is when you hang a sign, don't do that. Pastor doesn't like that. So I would say this. Um, I think we have to, number one, communicate to our our leaders around us and the people around us what is important to us if there truly are areas like the tape on a sign that kind of bug us bug is probably not the right word but a certain level that we want something done we have to be willing to communicate that to people so they will in all of their ability replicate it to the best that they can uh and so i don't think we I don't think it means that we have to take a big dip in excellence. We just as leaders have to be able to communicate adequately. Now, will there be times, and I think this is obvious, that someone doesn't do it to the level that we would do it in excellence? Yes, absolutely. We had one of those yesterday in something with our our webcast uh, that I had to kind of swallow hard and realize, you know what, when I look at the whole service, not just the one little thing that bugged me, but the whole service, God did a great work yesterday. And so he's doing a work in me to get, get past this control thing as well. So we have to communicate to our team. Secondly, I think maybe something that has helped me is determining the amount of energy that we expend in, in um, amoral things versus moral things. Mm. Amoral means it has no moral intrinsic value. And so if we're going to have a dip in excellence at our church, I would rather it be in an amoral issue than a moral issue. Okay. Um, And here's, I guess here, let me give you an example. Excellence in the presentation of the gospel. That to me is a moral issue because there's nothing that will get us to heaven except the gospel so we have to identify what is truly moral and what is truly amoral uh, i'll go back to my example tape on a sign on a door is an amoral issue i hope that makes sense i'm not saying we're not communicating but if i'm going to get frustrated i want to get frustrated about amoral lack of excellence and moral lack of excellence i hope that makes sense just communicating that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Ro. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have to pray about this one. You really mess with me on this one. So, um, but uh, no, I, I want to take a minute and, um, and open this up for any, any other questions that we might have. We have a few minutes left on the call. So if you have a question for Brother Gaddy, just unmute your mic and speak up. I, I have a question for Brother Jerry. Um, so we've actually recently transitioned to the structure part of what you were talking about, and then COVID hit and took a few steps backwards. But there's been some resistance to um, some of my leaders under me uh, allowing or focusing on structure. They, they want to go back to pray more. They want to go back to fast more, and that'll grow the church. 
how do I encourage them to go forward? Because you know me, I'm hard-headed and I'm a pusher and I can run people over if I'm not careful. Um, and that just frustrates all of us and that's not what we want to do. So how do I help encourage them to move beyond, like I believe in prayer fasting like you do, how do I help them move beyond that? Yeah, well, certainly, thank you, Brother Staten. Uh, certainly, it's not either or when it comes to prayer and fasting or structure and process. It's both and in the Apostolic Church, it has to be. Uh, so that's number one. Uh, number two, I think that sometimes resistance in our leaders that are working with us can be mitigated by relationship. And so if I can just say this, you know, perhaps and I'm not trying to diagnose a situation that you've just shared a little bit with me. There would need to be a little bit more um, money in the bank, so to speak, relationally with these leaders so they can start seeing your heart. And again, that's me suggesting that I don't know about your relationship with them. But, you know, some of the greatest determ the determining attitudes with our leaders at our church it became easier to make changes, even that they weren't as much in favor of when I had a more relationship with them because they knew my heart behind that. It wasn't me just changing something in the church. They had spent enough time with me. I had invested enough time. You know, leadership training is not always, and I do a lot of this too, but it's not always just sitting around talking about a leadership book or having a Zoom leadership meeting. Sometimes it's going out to eat and talking nothing about church work, nothing about leadership and just intentionally growing that personal relationship. And that goes a long way when then you make changes later on in processes and structures because they know who you are, not just what you're wanting to do, but they know your motive, your, your thoughts. They, they have a little bit better basis. So maybe that's just a piece of advice there. I'm going to jump in because there's a really good question from, um, LJ Harry, he asked, what is the best way to delegate and empower people without appearing lazy or too good to do in Acts chapter six task, especially in a church where the previous pastor did not delegate? Well, that's a great question, brother LJ. Um, and by the way, I liked your Ohio state stuff on your, your background, LJ, even though I'm not a Buckeye fan. Um, and by the way, a Buckeye is a wild nut, but we won't go there. That's just a whole nother issue. Uh, I, I think that one of the things, Brother McGovern, Brother Harry, that, that is important is that we, when we delegate, we celebrate those people when they have a victory. And that goes a long way toward, I think, changing the mindset of, well, Pastor LJ just wanted to get out of work. So he's asking other people to do that. When people see Pastor LJ celebrating something he gave to someone and they did a good job, he has transitioned from the doer of the job to the celebrator of the job. So he's still very important in that whole process, but his role in that has changed. And so celebration, you know, we get the old adage is you get what you celebrate. Uh, so I, I think we have to really celebrate and that will go along. And then you know, I think maybe a well-timed statement that is made about why you delegate in the church can go a long way, too. You know, you just kind of, as Brother McGovern said, you call the elephant in the room out. Listen, this is for, um, this is for the effectiveness of the church that we're doing this. So, hope that helps. 
Brother Gaddy, this is Brother Sergeant, Brother Darren oh, Sergeant. Man, my um, day is. Yes, yes. Uh, just to bring a little bit of uh, lightness to this heavy conversation, how much, speaking of relationships, how much of what you shared was actually taught to you by, uh, <laughs> by me? You know what? I am what I am today because of Darren Sargent. Um, Thank you. That's all I needed. Thank you. God bless you. Gentlemen, go to SargentSermonsBringHotRevival.com and it will <laughs> your life. Uh, I'm just having fun. Incredible stuff, bro. Incredible. Brother Sargent and I were roommates in college and best friends. And he's one of my very best friends in the world. I love you. Love you, bro. Good stuff today, man. Thank you. I, I, I do have a question if we have time for any more. Yeah, we have a minute. I, I did the mute thing again. Yeah, my, my question, by the way, this is amazing. And and uh, Dave, Dave and McGovern, great job facilitating. But um, my question is, in light of uh, COVID-19 world, I know a lot of uh, my friends and, and myself have uh, added a lot of job titles right now of creative director, uh, cameraman, uh, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, I've had a little shift in the last few weeks away from some of that, but just any advice maybe for, for a church plan or somebody who, you know, uh, I know I'm in a more restrictive state, so it might be a little more specific to me being in Michigan, but just any COVID-19 advice on the delegation thing, uh, yeah. you know, the moral issue of asking people to come out, you know, uh, versus do I just strip it down? Uh, instead of killing myself editing all night, just in, any thoughts on, on that uh, for how to navigate delegation through COVID-19 specifically in the creative world? Yeah, that's a great uh, question, Brother McLaurin. Uh, one of the things I was praying a couple of days ago and the Lord kind of just dropped in my spirit was coming out of COVID-19 when we kind of get going, what things actually go with me and what things do I leave behind? In other words, if, if in this pandemic, from a technology standpoint, we've hit a certain sweet spot with one of some of the ways we do media, that probably needs to go with us into the future. Some of the other things that are maybe more restricted to just the moment or during this seven or eight week period, that may, and that would be unique to whatever you're in, Brother Jamil. So I hope that makes sense. Some of that will determine what I continue to personally keep doing or what I turn over to somebody else to determine what goes forward and what stays behind. Uh, you know, and then the whole COVID-19, you know, I don't know how you guys are, but this is a, um, this is a day at a time, you know? And so I think I'm learning to make plans loosely and then take it a week at a time in, in kind of what we promote next and what we plan next. And I know we're up against it, but I remember for Easter Sunday, I told our staff, let's wait until a little closer to Easter to plan. That like felt like blasphemy coming out of my mouth because I didn't know whether we were going to have church or not have church. So we have to just kind of be fluid in all this and, and, and do the best we can. And I know that probably wasn't a great answer, Brother Corn, but maybe you and I can talk personally. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's great stuff. Thanks. We had a, a couple of questions come in on the chat. And uh, before we get to those, 
Mark Williams made a recommendation, a book recommendation, if you can see it in the chat, but in case you missed it, Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. He says it has a fabulous model for delegation and when people understand the levels of delegation and talk the same language of delegation that it becomes relatively seamless. So that sounds like a good book recommendation. Um, Pastor Melvin Reddy asked, um, what if people don't have a heart to work after casting vision, investing in the relationship and communicating the DNA of a serving faith community? What then do you recommend? Well, I guess the question, I'm assuming the question is what, what do you recommend for those specific people that don't really catch the vision after you've brother ready? I'm assuming that's what you mean. So I'll kind of switch that. Uh, Terry shock has said some great stuff about it. brother ready. Am I right on that? Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Basically you've done the hard work. You've invested in the relationship. You've cast a vision. You've talked about, Hey, if we're going to be a growing church, we need to be a serving church. We grow together by serving together. After that, I mean, obviously you leave it in their, you know, their space, but, but what yeah. do you have any other, you know, words? Of yeah. Word? Yeah. No, that's a great question. And I guess maybe my experience over time is you pivot and you go. You, you keep loving them, but you know, there are certain people that you will utilize and use in the church, and there are other people that you'll just love. And I know that sounds bad. I, I truly love people in our church who don't really want to do anything much except just be there. I truly love them, but I'm not going to take an exorbitant amount of time. If I have spelled it out and cast vision and asked them to serve and they just don't want to, well, then it, that becomes a stewardship issue for me if I still go back to that same well time after time, expecting they're going to respond differently. And so you keep loving. And I think Terry says, invest in the hungry. Give your best ability and time to hungry people. Even if that's one or two, if you're a church planner, that may be one person. But in the apostolic church, one becomes two and two becomes four. And there's this multiplication that takes time, place. So that would be my response to that. Brother Gaddy, thank you. One more question here on, on the chat and then um, uh, the call will end at uh, 10.30, well, 10.30 Pacific. But um, Adam McCoy said, I have a question or uh, uh, he said, I agree that elevation is directly tied to delegation. Once delegated, can you talk about the importance of coaching and leading and checking in? Um, inspect what you expect. And so, Brother Gaddy, could you kind of maybe talk us through your process of how you sure. uh, regularly check in with your leaders, communicate expectations, and yeah. what metrics you use to kind of uh, make sure they're hitting those? Sure. That's a great question, Brother McCoy. Uh, I will tell you, this is an area that, that I have not done well in, in the past. And so in the last uh, 18 months or so, I've really tried to step this up personally for me. Uh, and so the, the, the metric, if you will, that I'm using right now is once a month, uh, I do a tag in with that leader on an area that I've delegated to them, or maybe it's their, like within our structure at our church, we have people that have groupings of ministries under their oversight. And so I will sit down with them once a month, or I will electronically through email, call, text, whatever, ask them to give me an update on their ministries, or if there are specific things I've delegated to them, I'll ask them about that. 
so that's one thing. Once a month, I do that. And then once a month, uh, let me backtrack. One of the things I do is I don't do this every month, but for instance, when I tag in once a month, one of those months, I may do it in our staff meeting where I will put all of the commitments that, that have been delegated out and I list them for our staff in the staff meeting. And I will ask them, I'll give them a heads up. I won't spring it on them, but I'll tell them, hey, this coming Monday at our staff meeting, I'm going to ask you to give an update in the staff meeting on what's been delegated to you. And here's the thing. I'm on that list too. So currently we have three things that we're measuring in our, our staff. What are we doing to increase our effectiveness by at least 1%? And that's a whole nother lesson. I won't get into that. But 1% improvement in what we're doing. Number two, who are we personally investing in to grow a leader in our church? Us growing another leader. And number three, who are we personally discipling? So this morning I sat down and I said, now next Monday, May 11th, we're going to give updates on 1% leaders, leader and discipleship. I'm in that list. So I have to give. And the reason I do that is because I want to be accountable. I want to be accountable to them for what I'm doing as well. So once a month, that was a long way of saying once a month, I'm tagging in with these people uh, electronically or maybe even in person and um, trying to get that keep that accountable. Awesome. Thank you, brother. I think we, we may have time for one more question if anybody has a question. Brother Gowdy, can you hear me? This is I brother can. George. Hello, Brother George. Um, replacing individuals who lose, uh, how can I say this? their abilities as you grow, you go from 20 and a real realistic Microsoft chat, uh, to a Shure microphone, to a Sennheiser microphone, and you need people with that ability, but people who get settled in and you know they're not gonna grow and you need to replace them. It's yeah. very touchy. How do you go about that? Yeah. Well, I'm, I've found there's no easy way to do that. One of the ways that we try to do that at our church, and I will emphasize the word try, because this doesn't take all the sting out of this. But when I have invited people to serve, really at any different, uh, there's maybe exceptions to this, but most positions in our church, uh, I will ask them to serve in a one-year commitment. And some of the jobs are renewable. Like, for instance, our music director has been our music director for a number of years, so that's renewable. But I ask people up front when I sit down with them, and now our staff actually does this when they're interviewing people to work under their ministries, is we're going to make a one-year commitment to this. And then I, I up front tell them, and this, by the way, I'll just tell you, this is not an easy conversation to have, but it's, it's saved us before. Um, brother so-and-so, this is a one-year commitment. And so I'm asking you to do this for a year. We're going to set up, you know, every three months or six months or whatever, we'll have a tag in with you to see how things are going. But are you okay with understanding that at the end of one year, one of three things can happen? Myself as pastor or one of our other pastors on our staff that's in, in that role can decide we need to make a change. Or number two, you can decide this isn't really what I want to continue to do. Or number three, if the Holy Ghost makes it plain to all of us, we can go on for another year. 
And so that one year thing has really helped us. Now, I will say this. It doesn't take away all the sting if I, as a pastor, feel like we need to make a change. But it does give me a reference point to where I can remind someone, thank you for the year you've given. We made an agreement and we're going to reposition you. And, and I, you know, that's not to, well, maybe it is to make sure that I don't just kill them. But I do believe in repositioning people. Maybe that's not the best fit for them, but we need to find another place. And so I hope that helps. It's not, it's not a, a perfect way, but it has helped us. Hope that makes sense. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, uh, for joining us today. Pastor Gaddy, we honor you. and Thank you for your wisdom that you've shared with us and opened to us. I'm going to ask um, Pastor Darren Sargent if he would close us out in prayer today. Pastor Sargent, are you there? Sorry about that. I got a call from my son right when right when you asked me to pray. I'd like to say it was the Holy Ghost, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, he's trying to call again. I'll call him back. Brother Gaddy, thanks again. Um, man, what a great what a great word. Let's pray together. God, I'm so thankful to be a part of your kingdom in such an incredibly intense moment. We have a lot of challenges ahead of us, but we have a God that is more than enough, and we thank you for your guidance and your direction. Thank you for these words of wisdom today. Pray for every pastor, every leader that's on this call. Pray for their ministries, their churches, that they would be blessed through this struggle. God, that you would increase, not only numerically, not only financially, God, but let there be an increase spiritually. God, may we sense the presence of your, your wonderful, glorious power at work in everything we do every day. Guide and direct us, we pray. Let your blessings be upon us and your protection upon all of our families, our children, and our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.